0: So that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, the Gospel for today contains one of the most important but misunderstood lines in all of Christian scripture. Spying Jesus. John the Baptist says, Behold, The Lamb of God. And that provides a very important interpretive key for the whole Gospel of John. But what does it mean? In a very casual survey some years ago, I asked a number of people, churchgoers, what that phrase meant to them. The Lamb of God. And here's the answer I typically got. Well, it means that he's gentle and humble and good. He's like a lamb. But see, for a first-century Jew, that phrase, the Lamb of God, would have had little, if anything, to do with that sort of thing. Gentle, meek, nice. What it meant was it had to do with sacrifice. It meant that Jesus was someone who was destined to be sacrificed As a sin offering to God. Now, I submit to you that practically none of that last sentence means much for people today. Or it would be, at the very least, confusing in the extreme that he was destined to be sacrificed as a sin offering to God. I mean, you know, in the minds of the typical early twenty-first century person, why would God require a sacrifice? And how could that sacrifice do anything in regard to sin? Sin, though we might use words like dysfunction or lack of compassion, might be addressed through therapy or counseling or at the limit through punishment or imprisonment. And we might find those categories understandable. But sacrifice? How would sacrifice deal with anybody's sin? Furthermore, for early 21st century people, Jesus as a good example, as a model of the morally upright life, as a friend of the poor, sure, all that makes sense. But as the object of a sacrifice, as a lamb of slaughter, what does that even mean? I think I told you before, I think a good deal of the negative reaction to Mel Gibson's movie passion of the Christ, had to do with the very strangeness of this idea. Because Mel Gibson presented Jesus not primarily as an ethical teacher. There's very little of his teaching on display in that movie. He presented him as the Lamb of Sacrifice. You know, the idea of sacrifice runs like a golden thread through practically the whole of the biblical revelation. Cain and Abel Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, all perform sacrifices. And for centuries, the temple in Jerusalem was a place where millions of animals were slaughtered and burned in sacrifice. They say that those approaching the temple would have smelled something like a combination of a slaughterhouse and a barbecue. That's how much animal sacrifice was going on. Okay, well, what did these ancient people mean by sacrifice, and how come they engaged in it? The logic of sacrifice, shared not just by ancient Israelites, but by the vast majority of ancient peoples, is actually relatively simple to express. Here's what it is. Some aspect of God's good creation is returned to God in order to signal one's desire for union with God. Let me say that again. Some aspect of God's good creation, so the first fruits of your harvest, or this animal, this lamb, this bull, is returned to God. So the animal is slaughtered and burned up, the first fruits are offered in order to signal one's desire for union with God. So there were sacrifices of reparation for sin, yeah. Sometimes, though, simply sacrifices of communion or thanksgiving. But in any case, something was returned to God as a sign of one's desire for union. How about more specifically in the case of a sin offering? Well, one killed an animal... And one said, essentially, may this happen to me if I violate my covenant with God. Or else, as this life is given away, so my life is given away symbolically. Or else, some scholars say, what happens to this poor animal ought to be injustice happening to me. You see, in all those cases, the sinner is presenting something to God as a sign of reparation, a sign of sorrow, a desire to reunite. Now, though it seems odd to the point of bizarre to us, this was the standard religious practice of ancient times, and certainly of Jesus' time. Now, here's something, friends, that you've got to bear in mind when thinking about the logic of sacrifice. God was never perceived as needing these offerings in any way, as though they added something to his being. Now, you'll find that in some ancient religions and mythologies, that the gods or God require sacrifice, as though they're being fed by it. You have that idea in some cultures where as the smoke of sacrifice goes up, God is feeding on it, or he's taking in the good aroma of it. But in the Bible, we're not dealing with a God who needs our sacrifice. Just recall, for example, those prophetic diatribes against sacrifice in Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's not as though the prophets were implying that God disapproved of sacrifice, but he didn't want people to think that they benefited him, benefited God in some way. In point of fact, and here's the heart of it, They were benefiting the people who made them. As the sacrificer made the sacrifice, he was ordering himself more fully to God. He was redressing the problem of his sin. He was ordering his life back to Yahweh. Not for Yahweh's sake, but for his own sake. Now, with that background in mind, because that's the background that would have been in the minds of first century people. That's the background that would have been in the mind of John the Baptist when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Here's what anyone seeing that phrase in the Gospel of John would have been thinking about. It has nothing to do with Jesus being gentle and humble, though he was that. This phrase has to do with temple sacrifice. John is saying that Jesus will be the one who offers the final and definitive sacrifice. The one who finally reconciles divinity and humanity. See, look, throughout Israelite history, when all these sacrifices are being made, there is nevertheless the enduring sense that they're imperfect, There's still the sense that despite all this sacrifice, we're not properly reconciled. And so the Israelites begin to long for the definitive, the final sacrifice. What John is saying here is, this Jesus will finally offer something to the Father, which will deal finally with the problem of sin. And that in this sacrifice, we will find our salvation. Notice a curious and interesting detail. John has lured people away from Jerusalem. The gospel writers tell us that they all came out from Jerusalem into the desert to commune with John. Well, see, what does that mean? Jerusalem was the place where these temple sacrifices happened. So John is luring them away from that temple as though to say, that's no longer the place of the definitive sacrifice. They ask, well, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? And John says, no, no, I'm not it. I'm here to point to the one who is. And then in today's gospel, behold the Lamb of God. You see, the sacrifice won't be in that temple anymore. It's not in me. It's in Him. Follow Him. He's the new temple. He's the new place of sacrifice. Okay. Having seen all of this, what can we say about the precise nature of Jesus' sacrifice? Well, look, we just said that the spiritual power of sacrifice lay in its configuration of the sacrificer to God. All sacrifice involved a kind of painful twisting of the sinful self back into line With the will and the purpose of God. You know, someone came to Jerusalem carrying that lamb on his back. He's saying, I'm a sinner. I'm off kilter. But now I will slaughter this lamb. And what this lamb endures, I should be enduring. The pain, the death of this lamb is evocative of my being twisted back onto line. There's no communion in a sinful world without something like sacrifice. Well, who's Jesus? He is the very Son of God. The one who by nature is perfectly responsive to the Father. The one who from all eternity is in accord with the Father. If I can speak this way, from all eternity the Son obeys and is aligned to the Father. Now, the great claim of the church is this, that this eternal Son did not remain in His heaven, but rather took to Himself a human nature, sharing our human condition in all of its brokenness and all of its weakness. He took to Himself our human condition. And at the climax of His life, on the cross, He allowed all the sin of the world to wash over Him. He bore the sin of the world, becoming, in Paul's great phrase, becoming sin on the cross. Now look, under this weight of human dysfunction, under this weight of human sin, Jesus the Son continues to do what the Son always does, remains responsive to the Father. But now, He twists our sinful human condition back online so that now we can obey the Father with something like His obedience. Sacrifices don't benefit God. God needs nothing. They benefit those who make them. Jesus now, on our behalf, Jesus now entering into our human condition, nevertheless obeys the Father, is aligned to the Father and thereby brings us, through his sacrifice, back on line. In this, he performed the sacrifice which is indeed pleasing to the Father. Behold, the Lamb of God, who, yes, indeed, takes away the sin of the world. And God bless you.
0: The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.